0: But let's be real. Have you ever heard anyone say, I'm working on getting more coffee into my life? Okay, but what if you did want to get more coffee into your life? Well, good news for you, folks. We have a brand new sponsor here on The Brian Nichols Show. It is one run-your-mouth coffee free speech. Never tasted so good. The hope is that the delicious roast-to-order coffee provides you with the fuel, yes, you need to stand up to censorship and proudly run your mouth with amazing coffee to help you truly speak freely from 12 ounce bags up to two pounds bags all of the coffee from the amazing run your mouth coffee is roasted to order after roasting delivery It takes around two to five days, meaning that you will receive fresh roasted coffee made for you at peak flavor. And all coffee varieties are available both in ground and whole bean. From Espresso Yourself, Speak Freely, Mind Changer, Pumpkin Persuasion, and Rebellion Beans run Your Mouth Coffee has some delicious coffee just in store for you. And folks, if you are a listener of The Brian Nichols Show, you can use... Code Nichols at checkout and get 10% off your order. So head over to Run Your Mouth Coffee. Make sure you use code Nichols at checkout. Get 10% off your order and run your mouth today. Can I pause for a second and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on. And our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. (laughs) Yes, we made it through the first week of March, and welcome to another phenomenal episode of The Brian Nichols Show. How are you folks? Hopefully you've had a fantastic week, and I hope that we're wrapping said week up with a nice, phenomenal bow for you, as yes, of course, you're in store for another phenomenal episode, as today we are joined by a great guest, and that guest is one Scott feltman and scott is joining us from the one israel fund talking about all the great work that one israel fund has been doing specifically in the greater israeli areas uh so with that scott joins the show to talk about all that work and more so without further ado on to the show scott feltman here on the brian nichols show it's great to be here thank you so much for joining us scott number one The One Israel Fund, this is a new organization to probably a lot of folks here at the Brian Nichols Show audience, but also I would say an organization maybe not so many folks are familiar with. So let's start off here. I think one of the things my show is most well known for in this greater liberty movement is leaving the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. So let's educate the audience, shall we? Who is the One Israel Fund?
1: I'm happy to do so. So um, for your listeners, One Israel Fund was created back in uh, 1994. Uh, so we're now almost, uh, what, uh, 27 years. Uh, we were created after the signing of the Oslo Accords. Um, for your listeners, those were the accords that were signed on the White House lawn between the the, the newly formed Palestinian Authority, which was the PLO, the former PLO, uh, the Israeli Prime Minister at the time, Yitzhak Rabin, and, uh, and President Clinton, um, and the... The Oslo Accords basically granted a certain amount of, um, for lack of a better term, sovereignty um, or independence. uh, Or actually, it allowed the 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 Arab population in the areas that we call Judea, Samaria, and in Gaza, to have uh, limited governance um, over certain areas. Um, And what that basically meant was that it would have a direct impact on the Jewish communities that had been established uh, after 1967. Uh, when Israel returned to those areas, both in Jerusalem and what we call the West Bank or the settlements, what I like to call Judea and Samaria, or the biblical heartland of Israel. Um, And at that time, there were about a little bit over 100,000 residents living in those areas, um, spread out over an enormous amount of land in about 100 to 150 communities. And we were created as an American or North American fundraising organization to be able to provide humanitarian aid for those communities. Um, Whether it was or whether it is even today, building playgrounds or community centers um, or religious institutions or schools, providing educational scholarships, but also uh, which became much more uh, needed as time went on, Uh, preventive security equipment, and uh, emergency and regular medical services. Um, Those areas were sorely, uh, not ignored, but in need. Um, And as the years went on, and then we moved into those years between 2000 and 2004, uh, the Oslo War, the the Intifada, uh, where we experienced literally drive-by shootings and bus bombings and all kinds of horrific terror attacks, um, we were there lockstep uh, working with the security apparatus in those areas to provide. I remember the first project I ever worked on was a children's bulletproof vest campaign to make sure that every child would be able to have a bulletproof vest if they had to uh, go with their family on the roads. Um, we also provided uh, armored vans to transport special needs kids from uh, one community to another because you didn't have a special needs school in every community. So they had to go on the roads and going on the roads in those days meant putting your life in jeopardy. So those were the type of initiatives that we undertook in those days. Um, Today, 27 years later, uh, uh, these areas are now closing in on half a million Israeli citizens. Um, Industry is booming, uh, both from high tech and biomedical and agriculture um, from drip irrigation to phenomenal wines um, and all kinds of other industry going on in these areas, uh, what most of your listeners probably will never hear in the in the regular media is that there are industrial zones in every one of these areas where Jew and Arab work side by side. Um, Arabs are usually paid anywhere from five to ten times more than they would receive if they were working in their um, in their respective areas, um, of which the unemployment is enormous even before COVID and now it's even worse. Um, but there are thousands of um, Arab, Arab Palestinian workers who come into Judea and Samaria every day and work side by side with their Israeli counterparts, building a better future. Uh, unfortunately, the leadership uh, of of the Palestinian Authority uh, looks down upon it. Um, they try to stop it whenever they can. The BDS movement, the Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions movement, does everything in their power to try to shut those businesses down. Uh, and every time they're successful in shutting down a business, it impacts and hurts the Palestinian workers far more severely than it does the Israeli counterparts so, for example, take a company like SodaStream, uh, which we all know, which was originally in an industrial zone in Mishor Adumim, which is the industrial zone of Mali Adumim, which is a huge city in, uh, in the Judea area. So it employed um, hundreds and hundreds of Arab workers with good paying wages and health benefits and, and the like. And because of the pressure that was placed upon it from the international community, it ended up closing up their their factory in in that area. And they moved into the Negev and most of the Arab workers lost their jobs. Um, So that's what happens. But getting off topic. So One Israel Fund is basically a humanitarian based organization. Uh, We work directly with the local communities as well as the regional councils. And when necessary, uh, the government and the IDF to determine the needs of the, the uh, of those communities and, uh, and seek to raise the funds in order to provide those projects that we deem to be most, ne- most needed and to fit in line with our humanitarian goals. So every year we impact over 200 unique projects. Uh, like I said, it could be from education to recreation to medical and security. We're now building a hospital. Uh, in an area called Shar Binyamin, which is the, the areas of Judea and Samaria divided into regional councils. So you have, um, you have Gushetzion and, uh, and the South Hebron Hills, which are part of Judea. And then the Shomron is divided into the Shomron Regional Council and Binyamin. Binyamin is the largest regional council in the country with over a hundred thousand uh, Israeli citizens. And then with other municipalities, it's over 200,000 Jewish residents. Um, And we're building a hospital which not only will serve the uh, Jewish Israeli residents, but it will also provide services for the local Arab population as well. So when that's built, it will uh, it will it will be a tremendous game changer uh, in building quality of life.
0: Right. So those are the
1: type of things we look for.
0: So. I guess the the number one question to start out with is well, why the pushback? Because it sounds like nothing you've you've presented thus far is really controversial. And actually, to your point, you end up helping a lot of people beyond just those that would be, I would say, identifying or or are religiously Jewish. So where's the pushback coming from?
1: The pushback is enormous because while we are an apolitical organization, just by definition of where we operate, in the quote-unquote dreaded settlements of israel Uh, so the international community views these areas as um for lack of a better word occupied territory Mm. and therefore uh, the fact that we are building a playground for children and I don't want to mislead your audiences. Most of the projects we do are within the Jewish communities, but there are other projects that do have a, a, a positive and greater impact beyond. Um, so it's not, and by the way, it's not just the international community. Um, even within Israel, you have a very vibrant democracy with lots of diverse views. Um, so you, you therefore get such a pushback. And unfortunately, when the rhetoric of the, of the, international enlightened governments tend to uh to cast disdain on jewish uh on jews living in their ancestral homeland um as jews we come from judea and it's funny that that's the one place that the international community wants to fight jews from living um so the world would like to see it uh, Juden and meaning to remove all the Jews from these areas, uh, which I always laugh because that's not exactly how you build peace. Um, if you want to build peace, then work on having the the two the two groups come together and work together. And the funny thing is, we see it all the time. You know, it's 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 nice when people in their glass towers who live in the city centers, whether it's Tel Aviv or New York, or uh, Los Angeles, sit there and cast their aspersions. Yet, if you go to Judea, and you need to go to the local supermarket, so you're going to go to a Rami Levy supermarket, where the Arabs are working side by side with the Jews. Your cashier is an Arab on one lane and a Jew on the other, and you have two Arabs on line, and then a Jew, and then another Arab, and another Jew, and they're shopping next to each other, and they 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 need to get along because they live side by side. So it's a it's an ironic situation that those living there understand the 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 need for um for a symbiotic relationship much more than those who are usually making the decisions for them
0: well every single austrian economist listening to the show is instantly saying haha see we told you so the market it finds a way and you were mentioning that in these areas where we have these um, these economic, I would say, hot spots where you are essentially forcing together two different groups of people to work side by side, not out of force by the government, but rather the marketplace of incentives in this place, the opportunity to to make money, to make a better life for yourself. That right there is very interesting because we see that in, in when we're talking about economics here in the, in the States, that it just makes sense, free market, and we're seeing it actually apply over in Israel as well.
1: Absolutely. You know, the free market always drives, dri- drives, an economy. So, you know, for, it, it, the amazing thing to me, and I'm sitting in my office right now, and I, I just got a delivery of 250 bottles of Israeli wines, which we give out occasionally to our donors. Um, so the, the winery that we just got the delivery from is the Shiloh Winery, or to some of your audiences, the Shiloh Winery, which is the first capital of the ancient Israel, uh, you know, the, the, ancient, the ancient Israel um, in, in whatever it was when, when Joshua led the Jews into Israel, the first established capital city was in Shiloh. Um, and it was there for 369 years. And today the community has been rebuilt. There are hundreds of families living there. And one of the finest wineries, not only in Israel, but in the world, which is winning awards everywhere, um, and that's just one of many award-winning wineries because they basically looked back into the Bible and saw, okay, what are the, you know, ancestral agricultural, um, pro- products of Israel? So you now have a thriving olive oil, uh, industry in Israel. You have a thriving wine industry in Israel. You have pomegranates that are now Shipped to the world, and these are all of the what we call the seven spices, you know, the seven species of Israel, and it's 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 bringing back everything that we read about um, back all the way to the Old Testament, and it's an amazing thing when I see it right in front of me in my own office, um, and and the joy that that brings. Um, so you know, you were talking about the free market, so the the, the winemaker of the Sheila winery. He was a construction guy. He was, but he liked wine and he was making it in his backyard. So he sat there and said, you know what, wait a second, I can probably do a great job and, you know, and, and, and switch careers. And he did. And he found a market. And he built built it, you know, he doesn't own it. He's the winemaker, but he and the owner, they put together and they've been building it ever since. And it went from, you know, a few thousand bottles to 30,000 bottles to 100,000 bottles to 150,000 bottles a year. So, you know, you see a niche and you fill it.
0: Yeah, it works. Um,
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, and like I said, you know, in the Shomron, there are, I think that there's, there's a desire to eventually have somewhere upwards of 25,000 Arabs employed. Wow, Um, And the only thing that's preventing it is the Palestinian leadership.
0: So I was going to say that that was going to lead to my next question is, well, then what's the the next course of action? I guess what's kind of your vision and the one is real fun in terms of actually getting in? I guess maybe help as well for you to maybe measure what's some success that you can look back and and say, this is what we're measuring as uh, obtaining success.
1: Look for us. In, in one Israel fund, I, I'm not in the in the political world. Um, I have, you know, I'm in touch with many of the different politicians in Israel. I know Naftali Bennett, uh, who's the head of one of the parties there called the New uh, the um, Yamina Party. He's been pushing for these economic developments and economic zones for many years. Um, so, you know, those are things that are beyond the scope of what I do. For me the success for me is every every family that moves to a community and puts down roots whether it's for ideological reasons economic reasons quality of life because i mean the the views and the open air and the and the lifestyle in these areas and i want your audience to understand also you know they hear the word settlements and the first thing that usually goes some, through somebody's mind is, you know, a, a couple of trailers or a couple of tents on a hilltop. These are gorgeous, gorgeous communities with beautiful homes and manicured, you know, lawns and gardens um, with with full services, with schools, with cl- uh, shopping centers, with restaurants. Um, and I've been in, you know... I, I'm there all the time, except now, unfortunately, I haven't been able to get there, which is killing me to no end. Um, but for us, the success of, for us, whether it's in the security realm, um, which I'll talk about in a moment, but, you know, from the quality of life of building these areas, I look back, I haven't been here for the entire 27 years, but I've been here since 2001, and, um, to go from a hundred thousand residents to two hundred and fifty thousand residents to three hundred thousand to four and now closing in on half a million, and to know that there would be a million people living there tomorrow if both the Israeli government would allow people to migrate to these areas en masse and there wouldn't be building freezes, and you know, if the international community would stop, you know, stop their their oversized. Um, magnifying glass on this small parcel of land when there are so many other problems going on in the world today, um, there would be a million people living there. There would be two million people living there. And it's really just a matter of the infrastructure. There's plenty of land, plenty of land for both populations to live side by side um, if they ever wanted to. Um, and I know that Israel has made numerous offers to to the Arabs for their own, uh, you know, their own sovereignty over areas. And the Arabs uh, have always rejected it. And I'm not even talking about just, you know, over the past 25 years, but all the way going back to 1948. There was a desire to partition the land and the Israelis said yes. And it's and it's been no ever since. Um, but for us, the success is seeing families, seeing children. I have communities. Sometimes it's 200. It's 200 families. And there are over a thousand people living there because every family has five, six, seven, eight kids. Um, and, and it's a beautiful thing to see. And, you know, and, and, and this year, especially with COVID, just our playgrounds took on such a different meaning this year mm-hmm. because with, you know, with you have lockdowns and schools are closed. And, you know, you don't think of it when you donate a playground that it's going to be such a central a focus point of a community, but it was a lifesaver for many of these children. Um, but but switching over to the security end, you know, we're involved in a lot of very high tech sec- preventive security, from surveillance camera equipment uh, to um, to security drones to training courses for the community for the community first responders. Um, there's not a week that goes by that we don't get a letter. Um, a thank you, a, a video, a photo of a terrorist infiltration that was prevented. You know, we don't read about it all the time, and sometimes we lose sight of the fact that every day there there are whether there are attempts or there's planning going into uh, attempts. It's happening all the time. And almost on a weekly basis, I get some kind of a notification from my security projects director in Israel, who is an amazing, dedicated, um, expert in specifically security in Judea and Samaria. And he's renowned throughout the entire country for it. We are, we are inundated with letters of attacks that were thwarted, terrorists that were caught, um, and, and, and lives that were saved. So. You know, if you want to ask, what how do we define a success? Every every life that's saved, every life that's born, we look at that as being a success.
0: So, looking right now, obviously the uh, the geopolitical uh, arrangement has changed a little bit over the past few months, notably due to the changing of the administration here in America with President. Yes, slightly indeed, and going from uh, Trump to Biden. So, I'm wondering now, what's one Israel funds? I guess I approach or and it doesn't just have to be one Israel funds approach but more so just looking at the dynamics I guess of the Middle East now with a Biden administration leading foreign policy.
1: So it's hard to determine how that's what's going to be. Um you know whether this is going to be a, a third Obama administration or if it will be a, a first Biden administration the jury's out. Nobody really knows right now. I think that they have so many things uh, domestically to worry about, um, that, you know, the focus right now, I don't think is necessarily going to be specifically on Israel and the fact that Israel is going through its, what is it now? Fourth, fifth, seventh, 12th election, uh, in the past couple of years. And, and and by the way, I'm not sitting here today telling you that it's going to be the last one that's going to happen during the next, you know, 12 to to 24 months. Hmm. Um, you know, I think there's just there's just so many there are so many ifs going on, um, and I think a lot of it's going to be determined by the Israeli uh, elections and government.
0: You know, it's it's an interesting
1: thing. I, I was just on a conference call this morning with some of my some of my um, my colleagues in Israel. Um, you know, Israel's not we're not talking about Israel from the 1970s or the 1990s or even the early 2000s. They stand on their own two feet. They are, you know, they're they're a pretty successful um, international power, um, economically, um, developing biomedics and uh, all kinds of industry. They are a leader in technology. There's not a Fortune 500 company in technology that doesn't have some kind of R&D factory in Israel. Um, You know, they kind of stand on their own two feet now. So it's not like they're just going to, you know, roll over just because a, uh, the United Kingdom or the United States or any other nation tells them they have to do this. You know, I know that the Biden administration has expressed a goal, uh, a desire to go back to a two state solution. Um, if you ask me that, that ship has sailed a long time ago. Um, especially when you just see the dynamics of what's going on. Um, I do believe that, uh, the president, the former president Trump, was on an interesting path in in taking a step back and trying to look at the the picture from a different perspective uh, with his piece through prosperity, uh, which was put together by Jared Kushner and and Ambassador Friedman. Um, you know, we've 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 had this paradigm for so many years, and it's not just twenty five years; it's it's kind of like fifty years since since nineteen sixty seven, and it hasn't worked. And everybody refuses to take a step back and say, maybe it hasn't worked because it's not going to work. And maybe we have to take a different perspective and look into a different perspective. Now, whether or not an, a Biden administration is going to, you know, go down that path, I can only hope. You know, it's it's a different world today than it was even in 2016 when, when he was the, you know, outgoing vice president. Uh, the Abraham Accords have changed so much. In that region, um, and the other, you know, thing that we haven't even discussed is Iran, uh, which is still the the, the major uh, global foe when it comes to the Middle East and beyond.
0: Say, if you want, feel free to dig into that.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, just just this week, it came out that Iran is, you know, it, it, it's it's a it's a dispute right now, actually, between the Israelis and the, and the Americans how far away Iran is from a nuclear weapon. Where the Americans say it's actually much closer um, than some of the uh, some of the Israelis analyzing the data, um, but you know we see what's gone on. We see the 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 Mossad, you know, had that amazing uh, mission into Iran to remove all of that material um, and information that they that they secured, showing all the way back into the early two thousands. Um, is uh, Iran's intentions of what they were trying to do with their, with, with their nuclear activity. Um, it's going to be very interesting. I know that, you know, President Biden wants to get back into the Iran deal. I know he claims that he wants to try to strengthen it. Who knows what, you know, what's going to be? I can't, I, I, I can't predict. Um, there are some people within the administration who I think, you know, have, have some promise. And there are some people in the administration who make me very nervous, but that's not unlike any. You know, any situation with an administration. Um, I'm more interested to see, you know, what ends up with the Israeli elections, because I do believe, uh, whether it's Prime Minister Netanyahu or one of the other party leaders, um, that Israel's strong. Um, and I said that to my Israeli counterparts today. I said, you know, we're all worried about what's going to be from the Biden administration and from the John Kerry's of the world. And I said, Israel's strong you know they're not going to just give up because um an american administration or any other international body is telling them they have to do so um you know i'm i'm more concerned about the un um and and, and the efforts of the biden administration getting back into the human rights council and uh, and the icc uh circus court or UNRWA, which is just perpetuating a victim mentality amongst the Arabs living in Gaza and beyond; um, those things concern me. Um, we'll see what happens. Again, you know, my in my professional role, we're a humanitarian organization. I focus on on the humi- humanitarian aspects. What I have to do over the next four years is continue to build and secure and protect. That's my goal. Um, you know, the conversation is very different today with almost 500,000 people living in those areas than it was in 1994, 95, when there were 120,000. And I'm hoping that you and I will revisit this conversation maybe in four years. And I'll be telling you that there's 750,000 people living there or 800,000 or who knows how many. And, you know, that's my goal. Uh, My goal is this is our ancestral homeland Uh, for thousands of years. We yearned for it. We now have it. Um, We won a defensive war in 1967 where we returned to these uh, these areas. And I have to do my little part in the world to give the people who are living there until I have the opportunity with my wife and my family to make to to make the decision to be there as well, to give them the tools they need to uh, to grow and thrive and and to remain safe.
0: Scott Feldman, what are uh, maybe one or two things as we wrap up the show here that we can leave the audience with to uh, look forward to or maybe some issues that you think should be on the top of their radar? And also, where can folks go ahead and follow uh, the One Israel Fund and stay up to date with all that's happening?
1: So, look, we have a unique opportunity, um, and I really mean this as a unique opportunity for anyone who really has a desire to to help um, the future of Israel. And what I believe impacts the entire greater, um, not only the Jewish community but the whole Middle East. You know, we are building, like I said, a hospital. Um, building a hospital in Judea and Samaria is not like building a hospital in New York City. Um, you know, it's not going to cost you know five hundred thousand uh, dollars, five hundred million dollars, and two hundred and fifty million dollars was flushed down the toilet somewhere with some you know, dare I say, uh, unions uh, taking it off the top or whatever. I'm I'm kidding. <laughs> um you can have a huge impact on, on an enormous amount of, uh, of, of 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 lives um for a small I, I use the term you know somewhat in tongue in cheek, a small sum of money. Um but also I mean look we have we have security projects that literally keep people alive every day. Um so you know I want people to understand that there are that there's an organization out there that's in the trenches. Um, that's in touch with the right people. You know, we spend every day in the trenches with the right people, determining what's needed. My security projects director, Mark Provisor, go—he's an artist actually, uh, by trade. Very interesting. You can Google him. There are videos all around of his art and how he fuses art and security, which most people wouldn't necessarily put together. But when you think out of the box, it gives you a, a way of of, of seeing. Problems from a different perspective. Um, he does threat assessments all around the country. We're constantly called to come in. So even down in the south, with all the the rocket attacks, we were called to come in and assess the situation and help. Um, so that's you know that's that's the microcosm of One Israel Fund. Um, we're on the web. We're on social media uh, again. It's one O N E I S R A E L F U N D. Whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn. Um, and our website, um, but you know the, the the message that I give to everybody is, and I just said it just before, you know, we're a strong, we're we're a strong people, for good and for bad. We're a strong, stiff-necked people, um, and we're there to stay. So now it's a matter of you know figuring out how is that going to work in the long term. You know, are we going to keep going back to the same failed uh, parameter that we've tried? and 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 retried so many times or are we going to start looking at ways of allowing the two main people living there to find ways of living side by side living together and building a better life for both because at the end of the day every one of us who are involved with anything to do with Israel especially in those areas we want peace we desire peace we pray every day for peace. The difference is we pray for peace, P-E-A-C-E, not P-I-E-C-E. So, you know, we want a true peace. We want to be able to live side by side. We want them to have better lives. We want them to have better futures, better economics. Um, I, I would say, you know, they have to want the same thing.
0: Scott Feltman, the One Israel Fund. Thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. We'll include the links to the One Israel Fund and all that and more in the show notes. Thanks for joining the Brian Nichols Show.
1: Brian, so nice to be here and so nice to
0: meet you. When we're talking about living a truly free and independent life, we mean it. And that's exactly what Gary Collins, who is the creator of The Simple Life, set out to accomplish. And now you have a chance to learn all the secrets that Gary has developed over decades of trying it out himself, building these amazing courses, as you can go to thesimplelifenow.com and access three amazing courses. One, being the -the off-the-grid master course. Two, being the how to finance your off-grid home course and three how to find your dream off-grid property course and get an awesome 10 off at checkout by using code tbns10 that's right you too can learn how to live a truly free and independent lifestyle by living off-grid and all these amazing courses are delivered to you by yes one gary collins from the SimpleLifenow.com. use code tbns10 at checkout for 10 off your order and start living your free life today Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Scott Feltman from the One Israel Fund. Thank you so much, Scott, for joining us here on The Brian Nichols Show. And, folks, if you enjoyed today's episode, do me a favor and share with family and friends. And make sure you go ahead and tag me at B Nichols Liberty. And you can do that at Twitter, Facebook, Minds.com, and Parlor.com. That's right, at B Nichols Liberty at all four locations. Or, if you want to go ahead and say hello, well, email me, Brian at BrianNicholsShow.com. And guys, we have a lot of exciting stuff uh, coming down the pike here um, as we move forward uh, through the month of March into April. Um, some some fun things. I want to make sure that you guys are not missing a single thing as we move down the pike. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and, uh, number one, hit subscribe. I don't want you guys uh, missing the episode, so hit subscribe uh, and make sure that you are uh, getting every single episode Monday, Wednesday, Friday into your inbox. And also, Maybe maybe some bonus episodes, maybe some new candidate episodes. I don't know. We have some ideas that we're toying around with, but uh, it's Friday, and you know what that means. If you have not had the chance yet to do a five-star rating and review, well, make sure you do, because, of course, on Fridays, I go ahead and I read our awesome reviews, and those five-star reviews keep on coming in. So if you head over to Apple Podcasts and give your five-star rating and review, you could hear your review read on air like CD did, and that was, uh, yeah, it's funny. We go from CB to CD. And always getting better. Good show, good content, always getting better. Hey, short, sweet, to the point. I like it. And if you want to go ahead and just hear your review right on air, we'll go ahead again, Apple Podcasts, and give that five star rating review. I ask you because, hey, we don't charge you anything for, you know, three phenomenal episodes with three phenomenal guests every single week. So, guys, again, that five star rating review it means a lot. Tell folks uh, in the, that review uh, why you're a new listener, why you're a long time listener. Whatever it may be, I appreciate it. I do read every single review, so it does mean a lot. So again, uh, head over to Apple Podcasts and uh, drop that review there. And folks, also as a reminder, please go ahead and make sure you are supporting our phenomenal sponsors and supporting our guests uh, and all the ventures that they're doing. Uh, And speaking of guests, that's right. We have three amazing episodes lined up in store for us next week. So what can you expect starting on Monday? Magdalene Rose, she is joining the Brian Nichols Show. We're talking about Gen Z. And uh, what can the Gen Z generation bring to the table? Are they going to be discussing things differently than we old fuddy-duddies did? Well, I think we're in good hands after a good conversation with Magdalene. On Wednesday, Professor David Dozier joins the Brian Nichols Show talking about capital punishment, but also discussing uh, where the left and right can find some common ground. It actually has some conversations that... Hey, we're not yelling at each other. We actually, uh, hey, understanding each other. That's the main goal. Uh, A great conversation uh, with David. And then on Friday, yes, the one and only Jack Hunter is joining the Brian Nichols Show. Looking forward airing that conversation because my goodness, we dig into all things about really how can we get this whole uh, idea of liberty that we talk about every single day here in the Brian Nichols show and in our respective circles, uh, how do we actually get this into action, into policy, help real people's lives? Jack and I have a great conversation there. So three great episodes coming down the pike, folks. So make sure you do not miss a single episode. But with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on the Brian Nichols show for Scott Feltman. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Brian Nichols show. Find more episodes at bryannicholsshow.com. Audio production for The Brian Nichols Show is brought to you by DB Podcast Audio. Learn more by emailing inquiries to william at dbpodaudio.com.